Welcome to the Glojo Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal, and every week I'll be sharing thought-provoking, soul-soothing, and inspiring conversations from personal stories to insider tips and tricks. At the Glojo, you can always find what you need when you need it most. This is permission. Permission to be you, permission to be messy, permission to feel all the feels. So what do you say? Let's do this together. I'll see you in the Glojo. Hello and welcome to the Glojo, Marcy. It is so, so good to have you here. So awesome to be here and thank you for the opportunity, Leanne. I'm so excited. Yeah, of course. I feel like you were an early supporter of the Glojo. I remember you reaching out when I first launched it and it just meant so much to me that you were you know, still just kind of keeping in touch and seeing what I was doing. And you were a supporter right to begin with. And I know that over the last six months, you and I have connected a couple of times in regards to recording this episode, and we are finally doing it. And I feel like it is the perfect time. And so today we're going to be talking about toxic positivity and empathy. I'm going to ask you some mom questions because I have some requests and I'm not a mother. (laughs) And so I want to take this opportunity to ask you some questions that I get from my listeners. But before we do that, I would love to turn the microphone, the virtual microphone over to you. And I would love for you to share more about who you are and what you do because you've built this really incredible career for yourself and anything else you want to share about your story and how you've ended up doing what you do. Okay, thank you so much. So I am Marcy Heschel. I am a mental health therapist or psychotherapist, licensed professional counselor associate in the state of Texas uh, in Canada. I worked also, I had my own practice in Calgary. Um, I have a huge interest in people. I struggled greatly throughout my childhood and my adolescence and with everything from self-esteem to mental health issues. And when I turned about 21 years old, I finally had a bit of a spiritual awakening and changed my direction. And I believe that it is through that experience that I became interested in personal and self-development. And eventually, when I went on to complete my master's degree, I finally stepped into the place where I knew that I was going to be able to help people help themselves, which was truly my calling. Yeah, I love it. And I'm actually being transported back to, my goodness, 16, 17 years ago, when you and I first met, we were working together. We were both going to the University of Alberta and studying there, and we worked for this company. And you were always a safe space for me. And you were someone who I could open up to and share what was going on. I was in a really unhealthy relationship. I was mega burnt out from trying to do it all, essentially, (laughs) going to university full-time, working more or less full-time. At certain points, it was considered a full-time job, Um, partying. (laughs) full time, (laughs) trying to do everything. And so you were always a safe space for me and someone who naturally had empathy. And I, so I'm not surprised that you've gone on to do what you've, what you've done. And also at that time in my life, you bought me 
Oh, I'm getting chills. I, I, I shared this when we tears. connected. You bought me the very first, it was a Grace card deck. And that was the very first card deck that I ever had and that I was ever gifted. That was really the start of my personal development um, journey and really starting to look at self-improvement, personal development, and spirituality as a tool to help me understand what was going on and how I could really just getting in tune with myself and the whole exploration of self-discovery and and making decisions that are best for me and learning how to listen to myself, which is a lot of what I talk about in the Glojo. I want to help people live authentic, purposeful, fulfilling lives that truly feel good. Like I think we should enjoy life more. (laughs) That was a little side tangent, but yeah, all of a sudden I just had this, I just had all these memories come in. Well, thanks for sharing that. That means a lot to me. Um, Yes, I knew you in those days, and I'm so glad that we've reconnected. It's funny that we have similar experiences, like living in Kuala Lumpur, like who would have thought? You know, we were both going through a lot during that time. Mm -hmm. I had to leave a whole other world behind, and I was starting to create a new one. So I joined Cap Alpha Theta at the University of Alberta, and I don't think anyone really understood what I was going through at that time. Um, and maybe you didn't either. And so we came together as campus ambassadors for the company we were working for. And really our purpose was to help, help other people find their calling. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny that here we are 16 years later, whatever it is, Uh, and we're still both passionate about helping other people. Yeah, it's true. I have chills all over. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's going to be such a good conversation today. So you're a psychotherapist now, and I just think that is so incredible and that you've dedicated your life to mental health and supporting people in their mental health. And, you know, there were a lot of things that we could talk about today, and we'll probably still touch base and hop around a bit. But I know that you were an advocate for really talking about mental health, raising awareness, breaking the stigma, and really talking about toxic positivity and on the flip side, empathy. And I love your perspective and I'm excited for you to share more about that. But really, I think this conversation is more important than ever because we live in this, you know, social media culture. I've talked about this so much before, but social media makes it seem like everything is perfect or we need to be perfect. We need to portray a certain character. And I think by having this pressure, it actually makes us dismiss what's going on for us. And so do you have anything to say about the social media thing? Because I feel like you and I may have talked about this before too. Well, I will say that I struggle with it myself because sometimes I ask myself, what is the intention behind the post? And I want it to be authentic. And Mm -hmm. the word that I have for chosen for myself for 2022 is congruent. So I want what I'm putting out there to be congruent with how I feel. Much like you said, it can be the highlight reel for people's lives. I've kind of taken a bit of a pause and don't post as much, although I still do post because of what's gone on with social media lately and how much of an impact I'm seeing on teenagers and adolescents. Right now I am working on starting a support group for teens and adolescents who are struggling with self-harm, LGBTQ questioning, issues as well as just self-esteem in general. And I do see the negative influence that it can have when people are comparing themselves to others, body image issues, eating disorder, substance abuse, um, like I said, self-harm and the cutting and all of these things combined. It's less about how much you're on there and more about what you're watching. 
Well said. So I don't have teenagers yet, but I do have a eight going on 15 year old who I'm already cautious about what she's sort of filling her cup with. And I want it to be more positive and uplifting than it is, you know, comparisons and unrealistic versions of reality. Yeah. So social media, I think the number one fundamental thing for anyone to consider is what is it that I'm looking at? And is it making me feel better or worse about myself? And if it's worse, I'd say start to unfollow those things and start to increase the positivity you see when you are looking through your feet. Yeah, I love that. And I go through where I'll do a cleanse (laughs) and I actually go through Instagram and I'm like, oh, that's why am I following this person? I don't need to see that. That actually doesn't make me feel good. And I know personally, I'll get sucked in and I don't realize how something is making me feel. So I've unfollowed and I make a habit of curating my feed so that it truly is full of things that support my highest good and that it reinforces these positive reminders. And I also mute people sometimes. Maybe there's friends who are going through a phase or sharing something. And it's it's interesting, but I, I have, it's like, I still want to follow them in the long run, but there's just certain things that are being shared that I'm like, I don't, I don't actually need that for my personal wellness right now. And it, that's almost more confronting in some, some ways, but I think it's really important to honor what's true for you and not feeling guilty about it and knowing that you're putting yourself first. And that's truly the most important thing. I agree with you. You're putting yourself forth in a way that's authentic and congruent to who you are and comparing yourself only to previous versions of yourself rather than yeah. others. Yeah. I think of the Glojo social media account. I want it to be a place of positivity. I want it to be a place of inspiration. I also want it to be a place where people can feel like they can be themselves, like they are accepted and like they can show up as the messy, imperfect version of who they are. I want it to be real. But at the same time, I still want it to be positive. And so this is where I'm so excited to talk to you today about toxic positivity, because I am by nature an optimistic person. I am an idealist. I believe in the power of mindset. And at the same time, I see how the culture of toxic positivity is causing so much harm to adults and to friendships, to relationships, and like you said, to adolescents and children. And so I would love for you to explain what is toxic positivity. Okay. I love what you just said and how you kind of compared the power, the mindset shifting to toxic positivity. Because saying to someone, you can do it, just get over it, quit worrying, that's toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, because it can invalidate somebody's emotional experience and also not take into consideration that not everyone is coming from the same mental health space or position. So as easy as it is for one person to just focus on optimism, someone who's struggling with depression, someone who's struggling with anxiety, a personality disorder, they might not have as easy of a time just shifting their paradigm. So I think that there's a sensitivity 
that needs to be had towards people of all types. That's not saying that people who struggle don't have a responsibility to try to better their lives. But I just think that empathy is the, is the answer instead of toxic positivity. So allowing people their space to feel what they're feeling and experience what they're experiencing and then helping them to accept themselves so that they can come to their own answers of how, how to move forward in their life. Oh my gosh. So well said. And so to just even take a step back, if you were to define toxic positivity, because I know we've talked about this before and I'm like, this should be a definition that's written down in a dictionary somewhere because <laughs> it was so well said. I'd love to just take a minute and really put that definition front and center so we can continue the conversation and reference it. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a definition for toxic positivity. All right, we'll kind of go through this. I love it. So it's the overgeneralization. So the concept that it should be as easy for everyone to have a happy, optimistic mindset or state. But what this does is it results in the denial, the minimization, and the invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. So I like to say it's gaslighting covered in sprinkles. It's not that severe or intentional. Because people say, well, what's gaslighting? Well, gaslighting, Mm -hmm. there's a movie in the 40s, and it's basically a husband who goes into the attic, and he's flickering the lights, um, the gaslights, in the home. And the wife is saying, the lights are flickering. What's going on? And he says to her, no, they're not. So it makes her feel crazy and invalidates what she's experiencing. Now, that's intentional, and that's cruel, and that's narcissistic. But... What people don't realize with toxic positivity is that it's also invalidating. So it's like when someone comes to you and says, you know, I'm really struggling. I've had a really bad day at work. I had a fight with a colleague. And you say to them, oh, don't worry. People have worse problems like that. Tomorrow will be better. Do you think that that encourages them to continue to communicate with you about how they're feeling? Or do you think that that kind of shuts them down and makes their shoulders drop and feel sort of go into their shell a little bit? Right. So toxic positivity is when what someone says, you know, I feel so anxious. I have an exam tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to pass or, well, I'm so frightened to get on this airplane or, you know, I'm really worried about what's going on with the state of the world right now, let's say. And you say to them, oh my gosh, why do you worry about all those things? Just quit worrying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My mind was going to all of these different examples and that's just such an amazing definition. So thank you for breaking it down like that. And I really think it's like debunking toxic positivity. And when you were sharing some of the examples of like, oh, don't worry, it'll be better tomorrow or, oh, do you know what? In the grand scheme of things, it's not, oh, it's not a big deal. I know I've had this said because I'm an emotional person. I am a feeler through and through I don't always express them as eloquently as I would like, but it'll come out raw and real. And there's a, actually I'm thinking of a couple people in my life and it's like their answers to me will be, don't worry, your life is so good. You have it so good. There's people starving. There's people this. And that's true. I'm very privileged. I realize that I have inherently a privileged life and I've worked hard to create a really incredible life for myself. And I realized that there are people with hardships and other struggles. And at the same time, that's always made me want to shut down. It's made me feel extremely misunderstood and it's made me feel very invalidated. And 
I know for me, when I think of relationships, romantic, friendship, business, whatever it is, one of the things, like if you can understand me, oh, like we're we're in for life. (laughs) That doesn't happen all the time. But if you can validate what I'm experiencing and listen and hold space for me, you don't even need to say anything. Sometimes we just need someone to listen to us and be like, oh man, I hear you. That like That's tough. Or I'm sorry you're experiencing that right now. It is such a huge shift. And I wish more people would understand the importance of validating and the harm that can come from invalidating. Well, I can tell you that it's basically emotional hijacking. Mm-hmm. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. People think they're helping you, but they're not. They say to you, oh, just don't think about it. Everything happens for a reason. Think positive. And don't worry. Quit worrying. Be happy. Don't kill the vibe. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Look on the bright side. Any form of, and this is probably the worst, is at least. Well, at least it's not that bad. Or at least you're not like whomever or whatever. All of a sudden, you are just shut completely down. So what I found is that I became very passionate for empathy because what I realized as being a therapist is that empathy is the integral component of all therapeutic approaches. It doesn't matter which modality I use, uh, if I'm using dialectical behavioral therapy, if I'm using cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, if I'm using internal family systems, it doesn't matter. The most important component is the empathy and the validation And the relationship I build with the client so that they feel comfortable enough with me to share what they need to. If they come in my office and they start talking to me about how they're feeling and I say to them, oh, don't worry, just get better. Let's do some goal setting. They don't feel heard. And my clients tend to come back because I create a space of trust, of empathy. Empathy is essentially the action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experiences of another person. It's basically being able to enter someone else's world without judgment, just acceptance. Oh, so well said. I have so many questions for you. First of all, What's the difference between empathy and sympathy? Because they are different. And this is a distinction that I think it's important for more people to understand on on a deeper level. Sure. So empathy is essentially feeling with someone. Sympathy is feeling for them. So you can feel very bad for someone and your heart hurts for them. Empathy is more entering into their world and looking at it from their perspective. Sympathy is more like about you. Empathy is more like about them. Yeah. 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 That's a really good way to say it. And I'm reminded by, I'm reminded of Stephen Covey's quote, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And that's something, that's a book I read at the time when you and I would have first met. And that quote has stuck with me throughout my entire life. So there's something so powerful there. So another question that comes to mind, how can we be better friends? How can we exude empathy 
and listen to people without engaging in toxic positivity. Because I know, I'll say, I have those instincts. I go back and forth between these two places. I think there's probably a couple questions here and a couple of different answers, but there will be people in my life who have issues and have struggles and they are the same issues and the same struggles all the damn time. And there's a part of me that's like, I want to be compassionate. I want to have empathy and I do have empathy, but it's so difficult to see someone not helping themselves. And so I'll have the natural tendency to want to support them or go into the problem solver solutions mode, especially because of the work I do. I work in the personal development industry. I truly believe in this stuff. And so I'll want to recommend things or I'll want to share another perspective. But at the same time, I don't want to invalidate their experience. I want to understand where they're coming from but still be productive in helping them get over the hump. What advice do you have for people who are listening out there and they're like, I want to be a better partner or a better friend or a better coworker. I don't want to invalidate people's feelings, but I don't necessarily know how to do it another way. And so friendship and therapy are different. Okay. So as far as what you said about someone who's the same problems keep coming up and it can get tiring. Like they can be emotional vampires and just kind of suck you dry out of everything you have, which I understand. And so at some point in the therapeutic relationship, as much empathy as there is, sometimes you have to use empathy to help someone start to get to a place of personal awareness. And that's where I'll, I use something called motivational interviewing to help move them um, into change talk. So I've learned skills to help someone move from talking about the same things all the time to using questions like, you know, well, can you tell me a time in your life where things were better? What was different at that time? And then you can use the answers to those questions to help guide them to, well, what would need to be different for you to feel different today? What, What kind of things do you think that you could implement to try to use what helped you in the past to help you? Today, So I guess in friendship, you could use some of those skills. But I think for friendship, one of the most important things to remember about empathy is that empathy is not fixing. It is not fixing. Your friend needs a listener who acknowledges, validates, listens without judgment, without going straight to solutions. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard when you want to help someone because it can seem so clear to you. Well, if you do X, Y, Z, you'll get the results you want. If I could be in your pocket for 15 minutes or six days, I will change your life. Totally. But the thing is, is that they need to access their own solutions. And I believe that empathy helps them do that. Because when people feel understood, listened to, validated, they tend to move into solutions. Ooh, so well said. Thank you for the reminder to not play the role of a therapist or the fixer or wanting to get in there. Um, Also, I think I am just passionate about helping people, but I can see how there's unhealthy, like codependent aspects of that as well. And I love that you said by being the listener, by creating space and really, you know, embodying empathy, you can actually help people to feel heard, to feel validated. And when we feel heard and validated, we're more likely to move into solutions on our own and figuring out what's best for us. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. And also, I mean, in friendship, too, there's a need to set boundaries. I mean, if someone is and you've provided as much empathy as humanly possible to someone and it continues, you have the right to make your own boundaries for yourself. And that can be hard when you talked about codependency, exactly, like feeling like we need to help fix. And you also kind of identified yourself as an empath, which I do as well. And that means that I can have a natural tendency to want to help people, but everything is not my place to get involved in. And in order to become an empowered empath, it's also about learning how to set boundaries for ourselves so that we don't have all of our energy drained. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Oh my goodness. And so since we're talking about being an empath, do you have any advice that you would share for fellow empaths who are listening around setting boundaries, around having the natural inclination to be able to resonate and feel and understand people on a deeper level, but still respecting their experience and respecting your own boundaries and your own needs? You bet I do. Um, do that for me is heal your wounds. Get healing. Get working on your wounds. It wasn't until becoming a therapist and continuing to personally develop and experiences over the last few years of my life have really come to realize that my triggers are my wounds. My triggers identify my wounds. My triggers are my teachers. So if you're an empath and you have codependent tendencies, it's crucial that you start going into your inner child, whether that means going to, it does mean going to therapy to help uncover patterns in your childhood, things that have been with you for your life, uh, ways that we react to things, things that trigger us to look at the wounds that we have. You know, Leanne, in reading your recently published article, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) You know, you talked about self-limiting beliefs being behind fear. And it's so true is that as empaths, we need to uncover those self-limiting beliefs because when something triggers us, it tends to mean that there is a wound there and under the wound is a self-limiting belief. Like I am unlovable, I am worthless or something wrong with me. And once we can seek to find out the origin of the wound, which the first time that we start to feel like this, how old were we? Five, six, what happened? How did we feel? We start to be able to connect with that part of us, the wound. We can begin to give ourselves what we needed at that time, talking to your inner child, healing work. So that is complicated perhaps, but that is the best answer I can give you is that in order for an empath to become empowered and less codependent and less needing to fix, we need to first go into our own wounds and do our own healing work. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And it is, I think for me, I've been on the journey of realizing I'm an empath for about, we'll say nine years, I think is when I had the aha. Oh my goodness, I am an empath. And for me, it shows up as a knowingness, but also a feeling in my body. So someone can have an upset stomach and I feel their upset stomach. Someone can have a sore neck or a sore shoulder and I feel that. And so And I also just feel people's emotions. And so it's been this really confusing, overwhelming experience for me over time. And I used to take that all on and think it was all me. 
I remember, and I've shared this in other, other interviews or other podcasts I've been interviewed on, but like, I've literally been the girl crying in the office. Like I'm the crier, I'm the office crier. And I was always like, what's wrong with me? But I look back at that time in my life. It was when I was living overseas in Kuala Lumpur and I was in an office with a bunch of young people who had left their homelands and moved overseas and they're having this experience. Of course, there's going to be a lot of emotions and things, you know, running high and, and running hot. And so the awareness in just realizing that I am an empath and how it shows up for me helped me to start to separate what's mine from what's other people's. And when I was able to do that, then I've been able to actually really realize like, okay, this is mine. This is something for me to work on versus that's theirs. It can stay there. I don't need to dive in. I don't need to like, that's not mine. <laughs> like it's truly not mine. Whatever I have with this friend who, who says she's like, don't live in other people's weird, wacky holodecks. <laughs> I'm like, do you know what? Thanks for the reminder because I can so easily, and there's the, there's the beautiful things to being an empath and someone who feels and is connected in these different ways. But oh my gosh, it can be such a wild, confusing ride. And I do find myself getting sucked into these wild, wacky holodecks. And I'm like, whoa, that's not my reality. Why am I making it my reality? This is not mine. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Like not my zoo, not my monkeys, you know? Yeah. But we do. I, and if we are unempowered empaths without boundaries, we will get sucked in. And I yeah. have been that way, getting myself involved in situations that I didn't need to be for many years. And, you know, in the last couple, it's become more apparent to me, you know, the need to heal those wounds. Now, when we consider toxic positivity and empathy, and we think about our inner child, what do you think we use more so to speak to ourselves when we have we look at our our inner voice do you think that we tend to speak to ourselves with empathy or we tend to speak to ourselves with toxic positivity toxic large- positivity it's okay suck it up it'll be all right it's not a big deal i don't know how many times i've had an experience and i minimize it myself or i share it with with a friend and it, it really it's like i'm remembering all these instances and scenarios are coming back into my mind and when i know for me when i tell myself like it'll be okay don't worry about it it'll be okay what that triggers is a cycle of guilt and shame and blame towards myself, resentment towards others. And a lot of times the guilt and shame will come from, I'm just not doing good enough, or I'm not strong enough, or I need to be tougher, or I need to just stay focused on the things that matter. And I start to beat myself up. And when we start to beat ourselves up, at least for me, I know I've gone through these cycles of invalidation. And that's my next question for you is really getting into invalidation Again, I'm thinking of this one really unhealthy professional situation I was in, and I was so invalidated by those around me and by myself, and I beat myself up so much. I started to lose confidence in my abilities. I started to doubt myself. I started to experience severe anxiety and actual physical symptoms, like my stomach on me days when I'd have meetings, like I'd always be sick and like legit sick. I'm like, I'm not making this up. I am sick. And my body started talking to me in these, in these different ways. And I think that this concept of validating is so important. And on the flip side, when we don't validate ourselves and our own emotions and our own experiences, or when people are invalidating us, 
it's a really negative spiral and it can lead to depression and it can lead to anxiety. And I know I've experienced both of those at different points in my life. And I truly think that a large part of it came from not honoring my personal experience, not honoring my emotions, trying to stuff them down and avoid them. And what that did was unintentionally give it more energy. And they took on this life of their own that just got so big and I couldn't ignore it anymore until I had to really deal with it. Okay, so that's a long-winded explanation of my personal experience and what I've had what I've experienced with my own mental health when I've been validated versus invalidated. As a psychotherapist and someone who works in this field, what's your experience with this? And and really what is the harm and the true impact that comes from invalidating ourselves and invalidating our loved ones, even if we don't mean to? Well, one of the results of invalidation is shame. So I'm going to talk in a minute about children and the impact of invalidation. But when it comes to other people invalidating us, sometimes what it actually boils down to is how much we accept what someone else has said to us as reality. And that might be an indication that we have a self-limiting belief. Because if someone says something to us that's negative, it's the extent to which we believe what they said is true, that it will impact us. If we don't believe what someone said to us on some subconscious, on some conscious level, we probably won't take it on. So A lot of times when someone says, this person made me feel like this, it's actually more like, well, what about what this person said to you might be something that you actually think about yourself? So we can take it to that level, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. And again, I feel like this is a therapy session for me. So many, so many memories are coming up, Marcy. I'm being reminded like years ago, I wanted to be a coach. And I don't think this friend did it knowingly, but there was a lot of conversation and talk around like, oh, coaches, everybody's a life coach nowadays. Everybody coaches and really talking negatively about the field. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of like what I want to do. And I never really pursued it until recently. And I'm like, wait, I love this stuff. Why did I let someone's opinion of the field do that. And the funny thing is this person is doing it now too, (laughs) but it was the meaning that I assigned to it. And I let it, I don't want to say derail me, but I let it really negatively impact me because I took it to heart and it was someone that I, you know, respect and I'm close with. And so it really impacted me negatively, but you're right. Other people have said things to me and I'm like, I don't care what you think. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care what you like, whatever. That's your, that's your opinion. That's not mine. And so it's so interesting to think about like from a therapy perspective and point of view, does this start when we're children? Is this about our confidence? Is this about our relationships with certain people? Maybe all of the above, like what? I I feel like there's so many layers here, Marcy. So in being invalidated never feels good, no matter what, whether we believe what someone said or not. And sometimes it's not even what someone says, it's what they don't say. Being in a relationship and you tell them you feel a certain way and they kind of minimize it or say like, no, that's not how it is. You know, and you're like, oh, okay. And it just shuts you right down. Right. And then you might end up 
reflecting on it and beating yourself up for it and second guessing yourself and how you felt. So people with anxiety, people that overthink or ruminate, that can lead you down a rabbit hole of overthinking and that can end up leading to depression and other symptoms. Like you said, when you talked about like the psychosomatic symptoms and the stomach aches and what happened to you when that was going on at work, those were very real for you. So when you asked me the question about where does this begin, where does this start? Well, I'm going to give you a kind of a personal example. And that's like in my own childhood and today, I'm an extremely emotional person and I, I having to and have had to work on being reactive and healing and dealing with those wounds. But anyways, I came from a family of fixers. Okay. And I came to believe that some of my strong emotions just were not okay. So I felt invalidated often, which led me to feeling ashamed and to struggling through my adolescence, like I talked about earlier. But when I became a mother, I truly wanted to make darn sure that my kids feel validated. And emotional validation is huge in our home. So being a mom has hugely influenced my work with empathy. My goal for my children is basically twofold. I want them to have confidence and I want them to be empathetic. So I want them to love themselves and I want them to care about other people. Now we know that children learn from modeling behaviors. So what I model in the home is what my children are going to learn from. And that includes emotional regulation. So the way that we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. So if I tell my daughter to suck it up, buttercup, every time she's sad or upset or is anxious, she's going to feel invalidated and learn that her feelings aren't okay, which will then lead her later in life to question herself and her feelings like it did me. And it can lead to a whole plethora of other, you know, mental health issues and relationship issues and things like that as you go through life. Thank you for sharing that so well explained and well said. I think we get trained a certain way to deal with emotions. And I know for me as well, this is a practice that I really work on. And I think that this could help a lot more people learn how to validate, especially the empaths. It can be really uncomfortable to feel somebody else's shit (laughs) and to feel somebody else's sorrow and sadness and discomfort and pain. And if you are a deeply empathic person, it's going to feel uncomfortable for you. And I know one of the practices that I've really worked on is learning how to sit in the discomfort of my own emotions. And, you know, a friend recently, I was having a a tough day last week and a friend recently, she said, she's like, when it's good, feel the good and let it be good. When it's bad, feel the bad and let it be bad. Don't judge it, just feel it. And I know that so often we judge our feelings and it can be really hard not to, but just allowing ourselves to feel what's there for us is so important and allowing other people to do that as well. And if somebody's going through a difficult time and you're there supporting them, it's probably going to feel really uncomfortable uncomfortable to sit in it. But I think that's a huge part of learning how to validate. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. You know, there's a part of what you just talked about that sounds like radical acceptance, which is Mm. really not necessarily liking the feelings, but accepting that they're there. 
can even be with the situation. And instead of trying to fight them off, fight it off, we can sit in it. And it's uncomfortable. When it comes to us using empathy with friends, yes, it might feel uncomfortable for us to sit with them through their struggle. And we can even say that, you know, this might be, this is really difficult. I can feel it too, you know? And I'm here for you. Yeah, that's really, that's, yeah, it's, and I'm just uh, being reminded of this one friend who's such a good friend. She is someone who, you know, those people, like I have a, I have many, many good friends. She's someone who asks the best questions. And when I'm going through a difficult time, she'll say, sometimes she just says, I don't know what you need. I don't know how to support you, but I'm here. Please let me know how I can support you or what do you need right now? And it can be so easy. And I make an effort now to ask those in my life who are going through a difficult time, I'll, I will validate. I'm like, oh man, I'm, that is so tough. I'm sorry that's going on. Yeah. And let me know how I can support you. And a lot of times it's like, I just need someone to listen. Or a lot of times it's like, I don't know, but I'll let you know when I figure it out. But asking that question is like extending the olive branch, but I think in a really healthy way, actually, without assuming we know the answers and by respecting their process and their needs and also respecting our boundaries. Yes. The question, do you want advice or do you just want someone to listen? Gives them an opportunity to tell you what they need because some people do Mm -hmm. want advice, you know, and I always say, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking on the bright side at all. I'm all about the bright side. That's great. But if we're constantly trying to get our friends and family members to do that instead of listening to them and allowing them room to feel and be real, our toxic, our positivity has now become toxic. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you brought up again, like thinking on the bright side, because I love to, again, I love to inspire people. I love to introduce people to new, uh, new techniques and tools to help them live a more aligned fulfilling, purposeful life that is full of joy and that is full of inspiration. And I always want to be mindful of, you know, you don't want to just slap those on as a Band-Aid. If you're not being present to your truth and to what's there underneath, it doesn't matter how many layers of that stuff you add on. It's not going to take away what's deep within. And so something that I've been working on lately and exploring more is really the concept of having this really crappy thing or this really difficult thing going on over here and having something amazing going on over here. And sometimes it can be in different areas of our life, but it's the whole concept of duality and duality can exist at the same time. And so you're smiling, you're nodding your head. What do you have to say around this concept of honoring both at the same time? And the they can exist, they can coexist. Well, it's because I'm getting certified in dialectical behavioral therapy right now. And so it's that exact, that's dialectics. It's this and this can be true at once. I'm having a hard time and I'm a good person. I'm struggling right now and I'm doing well in this area of my life. It's the concept of splitting. It's that people tend to feel like everything's black or white one way or the other. I can love this person and I can be struggling with the relationship, you know, and it's, exactly what you said is like bridging those together and kind of being acceptant of both being okay and all right, instead of trying to to fight them off. 
fight one yeah. or the other off. So it relates to what you're saying in that way. Oh yeah. Very interesting. That's cool. I just love that you have the words <laughs> to what I'm talking about, like the more professional terms to what I've shared and what I'm talking about. And um, it's validating my personal experience. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so thank you. <laughs> you know, Leanne, you're insightful, you're self-aware. And my favorite quote, you know, in the world so far, I think, is from Hal Elrod's book, The the Miracle Morning. And it just basically says, you know, your level of success in life can never be greater than your level of self-development. And you're mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, you just called yourself down. P.S. I want you to recognize that and said, you know, that you are that way, that you don't have the right words. But at the same time, you, I hear words that will inspire so many people. So... Thank you may you. feel that way and you're extremely impactful in what you say. So both of those are true at once. Thank you. I thank you for that. I'm letting it soak in. And I'm being reminded of a tattoo that I have on my finger and it says love. It's very hard to read, but it's a, and I got this when I was in Australia and I was going through a difficult time in my life when I was beating myself up so much and I felt like I had so much love around me, but I wasn't really even able to let it in and receive it. And I got this tattoo as a reminder. I want to increase my capacity to love myself because the more I can love myself, the more I can love those around me and the more love I can give. And so this is always my reminder to love myself first and always keep expanding that so that it can be this positive outflowing into the world. So anyways, I just want to share. I love that. (laughs) You know, and part of being that empath is being, you know, aware of ourselves and sometimes a negative inner voice and finding it hard to know what makes us happy or to give love to ourselves when we can be so good at giving it to everybody else. So that's why I talk about healing the inner child wounds and going into you first because, once we start to heal ourselves, our inner voice will change and we'll find that, you know, our attitude towards life will change. And also it's not a destination, you know, it's, it's a process ongoing. Mm-hmm. We'll never be healed. I'll forever yeah. be healing. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me of the other tattoo I got on my foot mm. <laughs> when I lived in, in Kuala Lumpur and it says mm. the journey is the reward. Mm-hmm. And I'm full of cliches, like literally my body is full of cliches because I need these reminders and like clockwork, people ask me about my tattoos when I need the reminder. It's so it'll be like, oh, what does that say on the side of your foot? I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) Thank you for letting me know because I needed that reminder. I Um, love that you put little reminders on your body, you know, and they mean something (laughs) to you that's significant. So that is your thing. That's beautiful for you. I have another question for you. And then I want to, you know, just see if you have anything else that you want to add to the conversation. This is going back to the mums, all of the mothers out there who have tuned into the Glojo and have requested, you know, how do I maintain my self-identity and be a good mom? How can I be a good mom and pursue a career? And just really feeling the pressure to do it all. And to find this balance. And and I do believe everyone has different circumstances, but also I want to give you credit because you're really good at prioritizing what really matters to you. And so 
what do you have to say around this, this concept of being a mother, but still pursuing your passions and going to graduate school and building a career? And you're a huge runner, putting your health and fitness first, your family. I do my best books. to, tr- thank you. I do my best to try to find the time and energy for the things that are most important to me. I believe that I have found my passions in life. And I Mm -hmm. think that I'm very fortunate in that way because I've found the things that truly bring me joy. Being a therapist is so congruent, writing, running. They're the things that I love. So my family, my children, I put my energy into those things. So I think it's about looking at your priorities, but also knowing that there's so much pressure on us as women to do it all, be it all. And I want to work. And I want to have a family. See what I mean with dialectics? It could be, well, I either have to do this or this. But both can be true in finding the bridge. Mom judges out there, sorry, Karen, no time for you. Like, it's about what you need for your life. And I know for me that I'm a better mom when I'm not momming all the time. And some women that I have so much respect for are happy momming all the time. They're amazing on the floor players and all of this. And I look at them and sometimes with just pure adoration, because I think, how can you do that? That is not me. So if I put all this pressure on me to be that on the floor playing mom, who's doing all of this stuff, I'm going to beat myself up. It's more knowing what brings me fulfillment and joy. And for me, it's that balance. It's I can work and I can be a mom. So it's different for everyone to find that answer, but just trying not to let the pressure of the world get you and being okay with who you are as a mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That really stood out to me. Part of my mission at the Glojo is to really give people permission to be who they are, permission to be in touch with their desires and their authentic self and their authentic truth and to live it. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said I'm a better mom when I'm not mumming all the time. I think that's how I would be. And I think so many people would feel guilty or they would have the tendency to compare themselves to others. And I actually think that can be so draining and depleting. And when you are aligned and okay with who you are, that doesn't mean that you're never going to compare yourself or you're not going to judge yourself or feel down. But for the most part, you are living a life that's true for you. And along with your passions, you live a very passionate life and you're very purposeful. And I think that, again, when we're aligned with our personal truth and our purpose and our passions, we're energized. So for you, going jogging is energizing. Writing is energizing. Going to work is energizing. And so for everyone out there who's listening and it's like, oh, my God, how does she do it all? I think there's something I'd say like Marcy, knowing you for so long, one, you are really great at balance, but two, I think it's because you've really filled your cup with things that fill your cup. I'm and not always great at balance. No, I'm not. You <laughs> I seem love good it. at balance, and but I love maybe it you're that not. That's the perception. But in mm. all honesty, I mean, I try my best to, um, my emotions still get to me. I work on myself every day. Yeah. I struggle. I find it hard to balance being a mom and working and a wife and every other thing. It might look one way, but I still struggle too. I think the biggest thing I'm trying to work on, and I I would recommend to people and moms, is to less shooting on yourself. 
like I should do this, I shouldn't do that. If what I need is to run to work, to to write books, to be involved in running support groups or activities or whatever it is, that doesn't need to be your reality. If you're okay with what you do, like you said, becoming aligned with what your truth is, then that's okay. But if you're comparing yourself to others thinking you should be doing more and using it to beat yourself up, then, you know, then that's difficult. Yep, it is. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm not good at balance at all. (laughs) And I think though, for me, I've always, I've always looked at balance in a certain way. But then over years, over the years, I'm like, but wait, maybe I'm balanced, but it's like right now I'm focused on this and then next I'll focus on that. So again, I think that it's this societal conditioning that we have that things should look a certain way and that we should aspire to be a a certain way, but it's really about paying attention to what's true for us and living that. And yeah, I know for me, the more true I am and the more I honor my natural rhythms and what truly fuels me. And again, this is why the tagline at the Glojo is fuel your feel good. It's your feel good mm-hmm. um, because then you're going to do good. You're going to feel good. Your life is going to be more in flow. So yeah, I think it's just, it is a journey of self-awareness and paying attention to those things that, that light us up or deplete us and choosing to do more things that light us up. And remembering that two things can be true at one time. So I can be ensure that I get all my runs in and work and be there for the kids and all these things and still struggle all the time and struggle with balance sometimes. Yeah. So all these things can be true about me at one time. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. This has been such an incredible conversation. Do you have anything else that you want to share? I want people to know where they can find you. I know you have some amazing children's books. I'd love for you to share all of that. And then if you do have anything else you want to add to the conversation, the floor is yours. I'm going to just give a little positivity check. So how you can know if your positivity has become toxic. Okay. It's like a how-to check. So one of them is it's too simple. So it's a really quick answer when someone shares something with you. You're like, oh, don't worry. Okay, that might mean that's indicating toxic positivity. If there's no room for pain or difficult emotions, it's like happiness or bust scenario. If if you're using all or nothing words, like always or nothing or things always get better or nothing's wrong, that could be an indication. If you're using it to end a tough conversation, like we talked about the discomfort, So if things are getting uncomfortable and you're using whatever you're saying to kind of end it, you could be positively toxic now. Telling someone that they should not be feeling a certain way, just like I said, how we do it to ourselves, shitting on ourselves or others. You should feel this way. You shouldn't feel that way. That's a good indication. Remember, you need to feel it to heal it. So if you help and allow other people to feel it, you might be helping them more than jumping into fixing. Emotional validation is about comforting people, acknowledging their feelings, connecting with them, listening to them and asking questions. It takes more time and energy, but it's worth it. So amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love that. And now let's see your books and where Ah, can people find you? Where can people learn more about you? (laughs) Well, Thanks for asking that question. I have a website, marcyheschel.com. I work in Texas at a practice called Cypress Counseling and Psychotherapy, where I'm a psychotherapist, and I see clients there in the Cypress area in Houston. 
my books or my children's books are about empathy mostly. The Lonely Cloud was my first one. It's just about being there for people, not being necessarily being able to do anything about their problems, but just sitting with them. Love the Lonely it. Cloud and the Silver Lining Pen is one of my favorites because it's about grief and it's about it's about toxic positivity. It's about mm. when it's good to look on the bright side and helpful, but when sometimes that's not what people need. They just need to be heard and they need you to sit with them. For instance, grief. Yeah. Okay. I love it. The ocean in my eyes is inspired by struggling with anxiety and it gives an example of mindfulness and a grounding exercise. And it's also about having empathy for those that struggle with anxiety. And it's about a little girl who dives under the sea and learns how to be mindful from her little underwater friends. And it's a lovely, lovely book. So they're all available on Amazon or through my website. I love it. I'm going to link to them. I have chills. They're so cute. And speaking of kids, I hear kids in the background and I want to do one other thing before we wrap up because I know we've talked a long time and you're a busy lady and you're a mom, but I want to pull a card from this deck that you gave me years ago, Marcy, because I still have it. And so one second impromptu card pull. special. Wonderful. And while you're doing that, I also just want to give a shout out to the woman who I do these books. I say, you know, these, I wrote these books, but the woman who's made them so beautiful is Paige Jam, the illustrator. She's incredible. And she's from Ipoh, Malaysia. So you and I both lived in Kuala Lumpur and it just so happens that she's Malaysian. So I thought I'd just mention that because she's a significant part of those three projects. Well, thank you for mentioning. And yeah, they're just beautiful to look at. And everyone listening, I'll make sure to link to everything um, where you can find Marcy in the show notes. I'll link to the books. Okay. And now for the card pull. So tell me when to stop, Marcy. And this is going to be a message for both of us as we move forward today and throughout the week and for everyone listening. Now. Ooh. Top, bottom, middle. Okay. I will say um, I went here. So right bottom, bottom. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is one of my favorite cards. It's all mapped out. My sister had started drawing it for me. It's called action. And so this is interesting. Charge forward when we combine action with unwavering faith, the power of grace will meet our needs. Yeah, I do. I love that. And also honor your emotions and feelings and energy levels and find the balance and all that other stuff. But charge forward, take action and have faith. But, you know, having grace, like grace, understanding that we're imperfect creatures and we're human and we all have a human emotional experience and trying to be less judgmental and comparing ourselves more so with former version of ourselves and with other people. You know, so I think having grace for us and others is... Very important. So thanks for sharing that. That was really special that you still have those and that you pulled a card. Yeah, I've kept them. They've they've gone around the world with me. So so cool. Yeah, and it's so interesting. It's one of those things we never know how we're going to impact someone. And it was this little gift you gave me, but it's been this huge thing throughout my life. So thank you, thank you for being here. I'm getting emotional. (laughs) This was such a good conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate that, and you know, it helps us help others, which is passion for both of us, right? When mm-hmm. what you love to do meets what you're good at, meets what the world needs, you know, you've found your purpose. So yeah, I'm excited oh. for us both in that way. Yay. Chills. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, have a wonderful day. And 
I look forward to sharing this with the world. And thanks again. All right. Bye. Bye.